Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and you are the one who pursues us. You are the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Father, we come this morning because we are deeply loved by you, and you have brought all of this about because of Jesus and through Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection. And so we ask that by the Spirit you would reveal to our hearts the things that we need to know. That you would convict us of any sin regarding our unbelief. That you would teach us and that you would lead us in the way that you would have us to go. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, if you are a guest with us, we're glad that you are here. My name is Andy. I'm the youth pastor. And uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We are going to be... In John 6, and the passage that Stephen read for us just a moment ago, and before we get there, uh, C.S. Lewis, many of you know uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, things like that. I think everybody knows C.S. Lewis. Well, C.S. Lewis one time was being interviewed by an American journalist who uh, was producing an article called Decision, and he was talking to various uh, characters, well-known people that had come to faith to uh, to, uh, faith in Jesus later in their life. And so in this article, he was trying to get C.S. Lewis to explain the decision that he had made for Jesus. And Lewis refused to put it in those terms. He said, I had not made a decision. God made the decision. That God closed in on me and he came to me in such a way that I could not escape. In fact, the closest that C.S. Lewis would get to the language that the guy was wanting him to say was to say, I was decided upon. My story is much like this, and I imagine yours is as well. I did not choose God. God revealed himself to me in such a way that the affections of my heart towards him changed. What I previously did not want, in a moment, I wanted He overcame by his grace my heart to such a degree that the inclinations and the impulse of my heart was to say yes to Jesus. And this is the essence of salvation. This is what Jesus actually gets into in the middle of the passage that we heard read just a moment ago. Jesus makes clear in the passage that God is the initiator, that he is the pursuer, that he is the one who comes after us. And captures our heart and changes our affections and reorients our life. He is the we are recipients of his grace and he is the one who acts upon us in such a way that when he does, we gladly respond. Yes. We're right in the middle of what's known as the bread of life discourse in John chapter six. And last week, JP introduced us to this passage and he talked about the bread of life and the things in which Jesus was saying. And he He ended last week talking about how God is the initiator of our salvation. From beginning to end, God is the one who brings about salvation. And so this week, what I want to do is narrow our focus in on primarily verse 35 through verse 40. And see what Jesus says here about salvation. But to get the context, let me back up a little bit. And let's read verse 32 through 48 one more time together. Jesus said, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is to 
is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said, but I said to you, you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All the father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How come he can say now that he is the bread come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they shall all be taught by God. And everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So what I want us to think about in the passage this morning is that three things, really. The source of our salvation, the miracle of salvation, and the effects of that salvation. So let's start with the source of salvation. Simply put, God is the source of salvation. Jesus makes some astonishing and amazing statements in these verses about how salvation comes about. He tells us two things about the source of our salvation. That we're given by the Father and that we're kept by the Son. So let's look at that first idea. That we're given by the Father. Jesus in these verses says twice that we are given by the Father to the Son. Look at verse 37 and verse 39 with me. Verse 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. And then in verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. We are given to the Son by the Father. That is where salvation begins. It begins with the Father giving to the Son a people as a gift to the Son. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a gift from the Father to Jesus. That is where it begins. Salvation begins as a gift. And we see Jesus speak this way throughout the Gospel of John. Over in John chapter 10, verse 26 through 30, Jesus says, You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And in his high priestly prayer prayer towards the end of the gospel of John, John chapter 17, Jesus prays this in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me from the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And in verse 9, he goes on and he prays, I am praying for them. 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. In verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. In eternity past, the Father had chosen people not based on the merit of their own, but on God's mercy alone, and he gave them as a gift to Jesus. Paul picks up on this same idea. JP read about it earlier this morning. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes, God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. So how do we know that we have been given to Jesus by the Father? You know because you have come to Jesus. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 45, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Verse 65, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. The Father's giving us to Jesus is not dependent on our coming to Jesus. Rather, it's the other way around. Our coming to Jesus is dependent upon God giving us to Jesus. It is God's giving us that secures our coming. It is God giving us that guarantees our coming. In other words, when we come to Christ, it's because God has brought us to Christ. When we believe in Jesus, it's because God has opened up our eyes to believe in Jesus. When we heard about Jesus, we did not create this affection and desire for him. God creates that in us, in our heart. The certainty and the security of salvation rests in the sovereignty of God because God alone is the guarantee that all that he has given to the Son will come to the Son. This is why Jesus came. He came to secure salvation for all that the Father has given to him. For Jesus, the Father gives to Jesus, those that he gives will come to Jesus. You will see him and you will hear him and you will believe him. And then you will begin to experience eternal life. And that's not just a life that lasts forever, although it does. It's a life that is altogether different. It's not just about the duration of life, but it's about the transformation of life. It's the kind of life that God creates in you now. And promises to complete in you when Jesus comes and raises you up on the last day. Jesus says, I should lose nothing, but I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus redeems all of us, meaning our body and our soul. He loses nothing and no one. We may look at death and we may think, yes, my soul goes to be with Jesus and my body is wasting away in the grave. But two times Jesus says otherwise in verse 39 and 40. He says, I will raise it up on the last day. Not even your body in the end will be lost. Paul picks up on this same idea in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised imperishable and shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. Jesus makes clear that the source of our salvation from beginning to end is according to the will of the Father. And all those whom the Father gives to Jesus come to Jesus and are kept by Jesus, are given eternal life, and will be raised up on the last day. How do I know that I will be able to survive the most horrific tragedy in my life? It's because God 
has given me to Jesus. And because he has, Jesus will raise me up on the last day. How do you know that you can make it through the most horrific tragedy you can think of? It's because God has given you to Jesus. And if he's given you to Jesus, Jesus will raise you up on the last day. From beginning to end, salvation is the gracious and effectual work of God. He is the source of our salvation. But I want us to see, secondly, the miracle of salvation. The Father gives us to Jesus. We come to Jesus. We're kept by Jesus. But how does that work? Notice verse 44. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. The miracle of salvation is in the drawing of the Father. So how does the Father draw you? Notice how Jesus connects that to verse 45. The drawing of that God draws of his people to Jesus are those that he teaches. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And in verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Notice here this connection that Jesus makes between this drawing of God and this teaching by God. He says that those who are drawn are those who are taught. And then he makes this unbreakable connection between those being taught and those who come to Jesus. Look at the second half of verse 45. He says, everyone who has heard and learned from God comes to me. Jesus is emphatic in this statement. No one taught by God decides not to come to Jesus. Why? Because the teaching produces the coming. Verse 35, all the Father gives to me will come to me. Verse 45, all that are taught of God come to me. Jesus uses three phrases in this verse, in verse 45, to describe how the Father draws us to the Son. He says that we're taught by God, that we've heard from God, and that we've learned from God. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who hears, who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. In John chapter 8, verse 43, Jesus, in a similar conversation, writes or says this. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. Then he goes on to say, whoever is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, this is why, this is the reason why you do not hear them, because you are not of God. They don't hear because they're not of God. In chapter 10, Jesus says, you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus' sheep hear his voice. They've been taught by God. They've learned from God. They've heard from God. They hear his voice and they follow him. And those who do not hear his voice are not of his sheep. Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 16 and 17, my teaching is not mine, but his who has sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. The father overcomes our rebellion, the blindness of our rebellion to make us willing to see Christ for who he really is. He teaches 
our minds by humbling our wills. No one comes to the Father, and no, no one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. But all that are drawn by the Father are drawn through the teaching of God. They hear God. They learn from God. All of those who hear, believe, and they come to Jesus. This is how the Father draws. This is how he draws us to Christ. By teaching us. By overcoming what the blindness of our sinful hearts are. He opens up our eyes that we can see the truth of Christ. Which is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the miracle of salvation. This is what happens when we come to faith. This is the miracle in the hearing. It's the miracle of believing. The miracle is this coming to Christ. If you remember the context of where we are, Jesus just got done feeding 5,000 people. And the crowds are searching for Jesus. They can't find him, and they finally find him. And this is what he says to them in verse 32. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then he says in verse 36, right after that, to the crowd, he says, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. There's the problem. The problem is unbelief. And this is where the miracle of salvation takes place. It must take place. God must graciously overcome our unbelief. He gives us ears to receive the words of Jesus. He gives us a heart to believe the words of Jesus. He gives us a desire that we might come to Jesus. God must overcome our unbelief because if he does not, we will never come. He has to overcome it. This is the problem of unbelief that God solves in the drawing. You see, the crowd experienced the miracle of Jesus. The crowd heard the message of Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life physically standing in front of them, and yet they did not see. They did not see, and they did not understand, and they would not believe, and they would not come. Yes, they came to Jesus to have their bellies filled, but they did not come to him to have their souls filled. They wanted the manna, but they did not want the Messiah they wanted his miracles, but they did not want his message. They wanted his provision, but they did not want his person. And so he says in verse 44, the Jews grumbled about him. The grumbling is the fruit of unbelief. They grumbled about him and they said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, his father and his mother? We know. How can he say that we've, he's come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who draws, uh, who sent me draws him. And all those whom the father draws, Jesus says, I will raise them up on the last day. The Jews rejected the bread of life that had come down from heaven that was standing right in front of them. They resisted his teachings. They could not see. They did not believe and they would not come. They had no impulse towards Jesus. And we are no different. Our unbelief is our problem. The hardness of our heart is our problem. 
The Bible says that we resist the truth, that we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins, that we do not seek after God, that we have all turned away from him, that we do not submit to God, nor can we, that we are a slave to sin. Our hearts are hardened, our minds are darkened, and our desires are corrupt and deceitful. And so God offers his son, but we cannot see and we will not receive because we do not believe. This is why it's a miracle. God must draw us to Jesus because unless he draws us, we will not come to him. He must give us eyes to see or we will not. He must give us hearts to believe or we will not. He must overcome our resistance because we will not. This is the miracle of salvation. God conquers our problem of unbelief by reorienting our hearts. God gives us a new heart and he gives us new eyes to see. and He gives us new affections and desires so that we will believe Jesus and so that we will come to him. I grew up in, in a church family like many of you may have. Grew, going to church all my life, I was involved in the youth group. I went to, we had Sunday school classes, so I went to Sunday school class. I went to Wednesday night Bible studies. I went on all the youth trips and did all the youth events. I did all of that stuff, and yet I did not know God. I knew about him, but I did not know him. And it wasn't until I was 19 that God saved me. I was in college. Last minute, I went with a group of guys to a Promise Keepers event at the Washington, on the Washington Mall, three million men were supposedly there. The guy was preaching. I don't even know who he was. I'm not even sure what he was saying. But he had us laying down on the ground. And at the time, I did not know this, but my friends had been praying for me, roommates of mine. And they had been praying for me. And, and my friend told me later that in a moment, I went from laying down to standing up with my arm and were raised. In that moment, God saved me. At that moment... God opened up my eyes so that I could see Jesus. At that moment, he changed the impulse and the inclinations of my heart so that I wanted Christ. Before then, it was just a head game. God had to pursue me. I needed the Father to give me to Jesus, to draw me to Jesus, and to grant that I would come to faith in Jesus. All of my religious activities, all my morality or lack of that, all of my uh, church activities could never do that. God had to come to me, draw me, and save me. He had to change my wanting or else I would have never wanted Christ. But in that moment that he changed the wantings of my heart, I joyfully, willingly, and spontaneously came to Jesus. God overcame my resistance, recreating in me a heart that wanted to come to Jesus. He opened up the, my heart to believe in Jesus. And in that moment of believing, I came. I came to Jesus. Even when I was dead in trespasses and sin, God, rich in mercy, made me alive with Christ. Ephesians 2. He saved me. Not because of the works done in, in me of righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3. According to his great mercy, he caused me to be born again to a living hope, 1 Peter 1. And there are some of you that maybe have thought at times, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I mean, I struggle with sin. I feel like I should be over this sin. I shouldn't be struggling with this anymore. I should be over this. What is wrong with me? And at the same time, there are words of I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be, obey Jesus. And yet I still struggle. 
And you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a Christian. Because if you did not have the Spirit of God in you, you would not care. You would, you would not want to stop sinning. You would not want to follow Jesus. The desires are there. Those kinds of desires are given to you by the Spirit of God who lives in you and are given to the children of God. It is the Spirit of God who brings about the conviction of sin, which leads to repentance of sin. He reorients our heart and transforms our life. This is the miracle of our salvation. It is when God reorients our life and recreates a heart and overcomes our unbelief. Jesus says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, our coming to water is the movement, is the impulse, is the reflex of our thirst. Coming to bread is the movement, is the impulse, is the reflex of our hunger. This is what the Father is doing when he draws us to Jesus. This is how we're being taught by God. This is how the Spirit gives us life. There is this sudden awareness that our soul is hungry and that our spirit is thirsty. And suddenly there is this impulse. There is this reflex to believe. There's this action of the soul because it has become alive in Christ. There's this movement of a will towards towards Jesus. There's this change of affections with new desires. Our coming to Jesus is the result of the Father drawing us to Jesus by the Holy Spirit in which we are taught by God. And this impulse of our heart changes so that our heart suddenly and willingly and joyfully and spontaneously is desiring, longing, drinking, feasting, tasting, embracing, treasuring, believing and receiving Jesus. All that the Father gives me comes to me. All that the Father draws to Jesus comes to Jesus. All who are taught by God come to Christ. That's 100% effectiveness. There is no school dropouts. There are no failures. Everybody taught by God graduates into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the miracle of salvation. That the Father draws us to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And we are taught by God changing the rhythm of our heart. Creating this impulse to come to Christ. So how do we respond to this? What effect does this have on those who are followers of Jesus? I know for, for many, this doctrine of election, these things that Jesus is talking about, for some it's hard to hear. But Jesus does not speak this way to create controversy. He speaks in order to call sinners to himself. He speaks this way to humble the proud and to give glory to the Father. This is why he lived. This is why he died. And this is why he rose again. God's sovereign work in saving us humbles us. When we realize that we did not provide this decisive impulse that brought us to Christ, but that God does this in us. When we come because we have been drawn and given and taught by the Father, that this sovereign work is in us, this gracious and merciful drawing happens. When we realize without that, that we would still be holy and utterly lost, it humbles us. But not only does it humble us, it fills us with thanksgiving. Because everything I have, including my faith and my coming to Christ, is a gift from God.
God overcame my resistance. He overcame the blindness of my eyes. He brought me to Jesus. And that fills me with thanksgiving and not grumbling. So maybe you are asking, how can I know that I've been given to Jesus and will be kept by him to the end? Again, Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Those given to Jesus come to him, believing that he is the eternal, satisfying bread and water. Jesus says to the woman at the well in John 4, Everyone who drinks of this water of the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will not be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him springs of living water welling up to eternal life. And in John 7, he says something very similar. He says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So I would say, come to Jesus. Come to him. Do not resist him. Turn. From the broken broken cisterns of this world and drink deeply from Christ so that your hearts will be filled like a res- deep reservoir and out of flowing of your heart will be rivers of living water. Come to him. Drink deeply from him. Be satisfied in him. Be humbled by him and give glory to God because of him. But we also see that the work of salvation, God's work of salvation and saving us gives us assurance. Because if God drew us to himself freely and by his power, then he will keep us to the end. Verse 39 and 40 again tells us, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing but of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the solid ground of our assurance. And this is the hope for those that we love. God's sovereign work of salvation in his people is the hope that we have for the conversion of our loved ones who do not yet know Christ. You are not your savior. Jesus is. You are not your parents' savior. Jesus is. You're not your friend's savior. Jesus is. And you're not your kid's savior. Jesus is. If you try to be your kid's savior, it will crush you. It will crush you if they aren't following Jesus. And it will fill you with pride if they are. You are not meant to carry that because you are not the savior. Jesus is. If salvation were dependent on us and our human ability to overcome our sin or to overcome our children's sin and their unbelief, then we would be in deep despair over our family and friends and the multitude of those who are lost. But nothing is too hard for God. When God calls the dead, they come alive. When he calls his sheep, they come to him. And so I would say pray. Pray with great hope. Father, give them to Jesus. Draw them to Jesus. Grant that they would come to faith in Jesus. Make them alive in Christ. And I would say also to share the gospel with great hope. This is how you were drawn to Christ. And this is how your loved ones will be drawn to Christ. God taught you. 
Externally by bringing you into contact with Jesus and his word. And internally by overcoming your rebellion and your unbelief. And so that you can see Christ for who he really is. And in seeing him, you believed in him and you came to him and you received him. This is how you were drawn. And this is how your loved ones will be drawn to Christ. So keep making the gospel known to them. Declare the work of Christ on the cross and pray that God will do his humbling, teaching, drawing and eye opening work in their life. In all of this, we give glory to God because it's his glory and not us. This is why God saves us this way, because all glory belongs to him. And as we see the magnitude of God's grace and it grows larger and larger in our eyes, we will embrace God's sovereignty in his grace. Psalm chapter one, uh, 115, one says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your steadfast love and of your faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. For you are sufficient in the working of salvation. We thank you because you are security in Christ. You are the certainty that in him we will never be rejected. We thank you for keeping keeping us until the end and the promise that you will raise us up in the last day. And so Jesus, we ask that you would help us to believe this, to see this, to rejoice in your kindness and your grace towards us. We desperately need the hope that you have other sheep and that you are calling them. And so, Father, give us this hope, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, each week we take uh, communion as a response to...